Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Jay Allen Cross, and I am here with my co-host, Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagrams. Hello, Jay. Hello, Britton, and hello to all of you out there. We are starting part two of our interview here with Lilith Dorsey, where we're talking all things voodoo. So welcome, Lilith. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. I made it back from the coffee station. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're doing this in one big, one big interview here. So we had a little break. Now we're back. We are refreshed and ready to go. So let's just start right out of the gate. Can you tell us what, what is voodoo? Oh, I mean, there, there are some things that say it roughly translates to mean spirit or deity. I've seen that a few times, like linguistically. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's everything, though. I mean, it is the word applied to the religion as it is practiced. I suppose now, New Orleans voodoo, the tradition, that's the name for it. Uh, originally, people used to say Haitian voodoo, which is not correct. If that is voodoo. So people make that distinction nowadays, which I think is definitely healthier. We sort of embrace the word voodoo here in New Orleans because we're all about embracing those like negative stereotypes and trying to make it our own. You know, anybody who's been here knows <laughs> that it's a, we call it the big sleazy. So it's a bit wild and wonderful and entertaining. So there's that element. But it's an African traditional religion. A lot of what practices are now known as voodoo started in Benin, where the religion is also called voodoo. There's an amazing documentary by Jaiman Hansu, the actor, called mm-hmm. In Search of Voodoo, where he goes back to his homeland in Benin and talks about some of the practices there. Um, ironically, there's also a lot of blending there, which I thought was fascinating. You know, we think about things happening in Africa still being very pure, but there was also a lot of elements from Ifa traditions that come from the Yoruba people. But So, yeah, basically, I'm saying that New Orleans voodoo is a set of practices influenced not only by Benin in West Africa, but also by the Yoruba people, by the Cubans who practice the Yoruba religion and the tradition of Lukumi or Santo. Uh, There was a large amount of indigenous people here, the Chickasaw and the Choctaw. And a lot of those practices, those root work practices, those sort of ways of living in harmony with the swamp that we find ourselves in are also incorporated into the practices because there was French influences and Spanish influences. And we were also a colony of enslaved people in the South during that kind of thing. So there's a lot of hoodoo practices that I think found their way into the tradition out Mm -hmm. of necessity, you know, people fighting for their lives and being able to use whatever they had. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it really is an eclectic mix of things that go into making up voodoo. And uh, then there's the Hollywood misconceptions, which is is very negative and mm-hmm. still continues to be negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I like the Hollywood uh, connotations of voodoo is just like a doll with needles stuck in it or something like that, you know, like... <laughs> That's the way it comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my publishers, when I did the Love Magic book, they wanted to put a voodoo doll with pins in it. And I was like, no and no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even really a voodoo thing. It's not, we don't even really have dolls. I mean, that's a 
thing from, you know, poppets are a thing and that originated from uh, Celtic countries and stuff like that. But we don't really have dolls like that. There are the Yoruba have twin dolls. So if you're a twin and your twin dies, they make a doll of your twin. And mm. then you carry that around with you representing your twin. And it, you know, it eats with you at meals and it comes to holidays with you and stuff like that. So you mm. don't feel the loss and, and that energy is still there connected to you, even though wow. you're so close to this person who's no longer there. So yeah, that is fascinating. I mean, apparently last statistics I saw the Yoruba had the highest incidence of twins anywhere in the world. So there's this element of them having more twins and them having some sort of a solution magically for uh, what happens to those people when they lose their twin. Wow. That is so interesting. Oh, we just learned all kinds of stuff already. We, we haven't even gotten started. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But so yeah, no you, voodoo dolls, no zombies. <laughs> no, no it's not no a thing. Not a thing. Um, so you, you touched earlier on a little bit there being a difference between um, voodoo and, and, and voodoo. And I've also seen it with like an N as like a vodon. Or yeah. can you tell us kind of the differences or if there's one we should be using or not be using or, or I'm... Okay. Don't even know. <laughs> I mean, Creole is uh, interesting language, especially Haitian Creole is an interesting language. So, Vodou or Vodou, I've seen with an N. Um, I've seen both of those. I don't really think that there's any distinction other than it's just a different word and different dialects from different parts of that half of the island and and how it manifested there, you know. And mm. uh, but the distinction again between the word do I think that was just something that people embraced. And actually, since I just mentioned zombies, people say that the word zombie came from the word simbi, which is a Haitian loa. It's a serpent loa that we have for communication. And people have said that possibly Marie Laveau's snake was called simbi. And the reason people started talking about zombies was it was a sort of a mishearing, misunderstanding of that word. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And there's so much in voodoo where opposites are the same. So I find it ironic that a loa for communication like Simbi then ends up turning into zombie, something that like can't talk and only makes these noises, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so it, it's like it manifested being its opposite because what we're measuring is is distance from the center. We're not measuring like, you know, up, down, left or right. We're measuring like how far you off from your center. And your center would be, you know, speaking like a normal person. And, you know, there's anybody who's in the extreme of not speaking as a zombie, anybody who's in the extreme of speaking really well, better than everybody else, almost mental communication would be, you know, assigned to Simbi. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely not a Western concept. And I think that's something I try and explain to people who don't understand the religion because opposites are the same, you know, and that's pretty much for all the ATRs. You know, if you get somebody who's crowned or dedicated to Oshun, who I mentioned before as the Orisha of the river, lots of times they cannot eat her sacred foods. They don't take honey. They don't take pumpkin. So for the whole rest of their lives, they have those food taboos because there's so much that energy. They can't take those foods that's left in respect to her. Oh, interesting. This is perfect. This is why we have you on because neither one of us know anything about this stuff. So I feel like I, we're just, again, going to be so much smarter by the end of this conversation. <laughs> and I like what you're talking about too, kind of like, you know, going both directions is still 
within that one particular realm. Cause I, I noticed that too, a lot with, um, with like plant magic and some of these ATRs where it's like, you know, this is used for, you know, um, breaking hexes and jinxes, but also for putting them on, it goes both directions. It's kind of like, um, and, and it makes so much more sense because it's like, like, a, like a doctor, a doctor is known for healing, but also a doctor with all of that information knows how to absolutely do the other direction, you know, of, uh, other than healing based on that. It's just kind of having that info or that dominion or that power in that area. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and uh, both in Vodou and, and Voodoo and, and Santo, we have Ogun, who's in Orisha and also Aloha, and he's in charge of both medicine and the military. So you've got this thing where, again, a surgeon can cut you and that's okay. Military can cut you and that's kind of like ethically okay from society. But if you're on the other side of that, you're going to get really hurt and it's not a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just really about the energy behind it, like you're saying. So it's like mm-hmm. breaking everything down to the pure ashe of it and understanding it in that way, which mm-hmm. is hard sometimes, you know? I, th- I think that, and that's something that I've, I've done a couple of talks about Ogun and how people who have that kind of anger, you can channel it into the military. You can channel it into healing. You know, I used to laugh because when I published my first book, you know, they give you that like people who bought this book also bought, they also bought Dexter. And I was like, that's hilarious. It's like, okay, so they're channeling their like aggression and hostility and murderous influences into helping people in a vigilante kind of way, you know? And I was like, okay, so my readers are really cool. I love Dexter. It's great. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We're all on the same wavelength with this one. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So before you were talking a little bit kind of in, in our last interview with you um, about some of kind of the, the family structure of voodoo or having a house and godparents and things like that, can, can you tell us a little bit about kind of how that, that family grouping or, or structure works within, within the practice of voodoo? Yeah, I think the first thing I usually recommend to people is to go get a reading, go to get a reading from somebody who is an accomplished professional who has their own spiritual house and see what the reading says. You know, the reading may say you just need to go take a bath and a nap and come back in six months, you know, and maybe you understand what that's about and maybe you don't, but that's what you're supposed to do and you accept it. And maybe the reading will say, oh, you're supposed to get initiated. We're initiating people next week. You know, how about you show up with everything you need, you know, so that way you have that connection, you know, and and you are joining a family. So hopefully they'll have an open ceremony and you can go and see what's happening or you'll just go to get a cleansing and you'll get to meet people and understand how they do things. And and eventually you will be asked to join the family if that's what's supposed to happen. You know, again, it's about patience. And I think as an Aries, that was always the hardest part to me that I just wanted to rush out and get this thing and and be done. And, and, you know, a lot of my godmothers would say to me, you know, just do what you need to do for right now. And it would be so frustrating. But in hindsight, I say this to my god kids all the time, too. You know, it's like there's things you want to accomplish. There's things you want to do that takes time. You know, our timeline is not the same as the Orisha and the Loa timeline. If you're coming for a reading, you want whatever it was yesterday but chances are they're operating on a whole nother thing and and you don't know what would happen if you bent the universe to your will in that moment so let's just take a step back and see how things unfold so you know and and people get so upset especially after i did the love magic book about because they want this partner and i'm like 
But what if there's somebody better for you? You know what I mean? Just do the spell for whoever's best for you. If this is this mofo over here that you think is so great, then you'll get them. If it's not, if there's somebody that's, you know, richer than them, kinder than them, you know, going to help you out a whole bunch more. Why wouldn't you want that person in your life? Don't get so hung up on that particular thing. You know, if your favorite restaurant was closed, you'd go to another restaurant and maybe you'd discover something new. Would you starve to death? No. Chances are that's not going to happen and I don't think if you're doing all the other things right you won't starve to death so looking for these teachers going to them for guidance I mean and some of them are damn nasty you know like I went to one of my godmothers the other day I have a blind and deaf dog she's in the other room but she looked at me she went you must be demented to get a dog like that well, yeah, I kind of am, you know, <laughs> a little bit. It's, right. it's not, it's like a parent. It's not always the nicest way to say things, you know, but it's true. You know, there must be something a little strange with me. If I want this dog, <laughs> I can't see anything crashes into the wall, but you know, whatever, we all got problems, but you know, it's, it's, it is like a family. So sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's not, but eventually, mm-hmm. you know, you'll grow with the family. You'll grow with your God brothers and sisters. You can depend on them, which I think is beautiful. You know, hopefully I still have a God brother who I talk to almost every day. You know, if I have an issue, he helps me with it. If he has an issue, I help him with it. You know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of us don't have blood family that support us in a positive way for whatever reason. So having this, even though it's challenging in other ways, was always something that I thought was beautiful because my own family had a lot of shortcomings. That's the nicest way I can say that, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, ditto for all my godparents, actually. You know, one of my godparents used to say her own children didn't come around. So it was so nice that her godchildren like me and my godbrothers would come around and help her out because her own children didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she wasn't sad about it. You know, she was just happy that the universe gave her somebody to help her do what she needed to do, you know, and that's how I feel about it. My daughter goes all over the world. I think she's in Mexico this week and then France the next (laughs) week. And then (laughs) she just came back from New York. And it's like, okay, you know, but, you know, she's doing her thing. And my God, kids can come and help me do my thing. It's beautiful. Absolutely. I love being able to find family in sometimes unexpected places. I think that's so beautiful. Chosen family. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. It is. It's nice. It's nice. And it doesn't. That's why I said sometimes, you know, in the last interview, sometimes you need to travel a thousand miles. But if it's somewhere where you're going to be loved and cared for and welcomed and understood, hell, I'd travel across the world for it if I had to. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So within this this family structure that we're talking about here, I, I think everyone's always interested in kind of like the 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 head people in charge of kind of it all or um but are there are there other roles to fill within this family structure as well that we don't tend to hear about or or maybe important jobs that aren't um that that need to be done within the family or or roles to play or definitely i mean i I think the thing I need to start with is that each uh, ATR house is autonomous. So they're all operating under their own rules, their own structure, their own initiations, their own levels, all of that, you know, so that's going to vary so much between the hundreds, if not thousands of houses that are in the U S alone, 
you know, but basically, yeah, there's a top structure, but even then there's a top of that. Your godparents have godparents, you know, and mm-hmm. they answer to them while they're alive. And if they lose those godparents, lots of times they get other new godparents to replace the ones that they have. And they still have their godbrothers and sisters, even though they've passed, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. you're always still part of a family. And there's always a hierarchy almost, you know, in the sense of that if one of my God kids does something wrong, people call me up and they're like, oh my gosh, your kid, the same way with real kids. You know what I mean? Oh no, your kid punched somebody on the, whatever. <laughs> they stole the test. They took the, I took silly putty when I was a kid from one of my <laughs> people. It's like they stole something from the kid at the desk next to them, you know? So you've got to answer for it. You know, you got to go in, you got to be the parent and be like, okay, well, you know, say you're sorry, brr, brr, brr. you know, <laughs> that's how it is. So it's just that there is a hierarchy in my, my uh, spiritual house, we have people that just get their first initiation, which is, again, pretty much all the ATRs have an initiation to begin with. That's like a water baptism. Mm-hmm. And also it's Rogacion. And Haiti, it's Lave Tet, meaning literally like to wash your head. Um, so we do that as a beginning thing that doesn't attach you to any house. It really just is like it wakens you up in the tradition, which is one of the things I think with people mm-hmm. running out and declaring themselves dedicated to A, B, C, and D. You're not even supposed to be able to hear them before you have this ceremony done. So anybody who thinks this, this, you know, unverified personal gnosis, they're talking to Oshun or Yemaya in their dreams. It ain't happening. You don't know what you're talking to. It could be anything that's pretending to be these things. And the whole community is not going to respect you for that until you've had a rogacion, until you've received your initiations and they can literally see you because they can't see you before that. It's like you're just not on their radar. They could care less what happens to you. And that's harsh, but that's the way it's been done for thousands of years. We have an Arisha called Shango goes back to the fourth century BCE. So for in written records. So for 2,500 years, at least people have been doing it this way. So you coming and inventing the wheel really is pointless at this point, that this, this is how it's done. So in order for them to see you, you need to have these beginning initiations. And then in my house, if somebody wants to move forward, there's fire initiations that we go through. There's air initiations that we go through. And Also, initiations are never finished either, which I think is something that outsiders don't get. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like, oh, I got all my initiations and we're done. You know, it could be that this year is a hard look. We just had a pandemic. Nobody thought that was going to happen, you know. So it could be that this year is a hard year for health. So everybody needs to get this initiation or this thing done or we need to do this ceremony. So it's always ongoing, changing with the circumstances of both the individual, the house and the wider world at large. So there's lots of different roles, you know, and each one comes with different levels of commitment, different levels of, I think, really power is the best word to put with it. Because when people Mm. start out in my house, when people start out, I don't really even let them do any magic. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's more about like. You don't know what you want. Maybe you want that guy over there and he's diseased or he's going to die tomorrow or whatever. So we just leave it at like you're just doing your offerings. You're trying to live the best life you can. You're trying to live in harmony with what's around you and understand things better. And that's how it works, because maybe if you had that job, someone would go in that job next week and shoot it up. It sounds like a good job, but you don't know what's going to happen. So we just leave it up to that. But I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to deal with, too. 
you know, just sort of entering into it really like reborn as a child and saying, I don't know anything, even though I've done magic all my life and I'd certainly done magic all my life, but entering into it. Oh, I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> Let me understand again and be reborn in this situation and understand what's happening and have that transformation and literally like your eyes opened and you can see what's been out there all along. And it does filter out all the noise. So whatever, you know, I like to call it the homeless ghost chatter, you know, like <laughs> you walk down a busy city street, everybody's talking, they're on their phones. There's homeless people mumbling in the corner as spiritual person until you've had that rogacion or baptism. Like you hear all of that from the spiritual world. After you've had it, you've got clarity. You hear what you need to hear and what you need to act on. And the rest of it is gone. So that's helpful. Sounds like a very humbling process. It is. And people don't like to be humble. No, they don't they like to take orders, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it was hard, but it's important. You know, I mean, I, I think we have these moments. I, uh, I have a godson who's trying to be a lawyer and he's taken the LSATs and, you know, he's like, was disappointed in his LSAT score. And I was like, Look, I think this is a life lesson for you. As an attorney, you're going to have lots of times where things do not turn out 100% the way you want them to. And you'd need to know just how to roll with that and go with it as opposed to getting so upset about this one little teeny moment. There's going to be a million moments and you're going to have to learn how to recover from that and attack it with a strength and a passion and a beauty that you don't see if you've never had those kind of disappointments. So they're important and they are humbling, but I think that's, you know, again, very, very necessary. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about being required in a lot of this, the stuff that we're seeing less and less of these days as people want to make everything easier, everything be expedited, everything be um, cheaper, whatever it is that people want. Um, those things are going away, but that that's always kind of baffled me. Cause like you're talking about, you know, how far back Shango goes, you know, yeah. and then people just going like, well, there are no, um, you know, people who can initiate me in my area. So I'm just going to skip that. It's like, okay, so I'm just going to throw, you know, thousands of years of tradition mm -hmm. in the trash and feel like that's going to start me off on a great foot. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And like I said about the substitutions, they can do that, but they need to do that far away from me because, you know, I have a friend who's a babalal. He says to me every day, the worst thing that could happen is nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, okay. You know, if something happens, like anything could happen. You could be opening Pandora's box. You know, like I've had people come to me who were making stuff up. They gave the wrong offerings. They gave the wrong, you know, like it's just like, what? You know, like if you had some really famous military general or, or even like, you know, musicians, they have a writer in their contract. They need to have ho-hos and champagne and the thing. If you give them the wrong thing, all hell breaks loose, you know, and that's kind of how the system works. Like for 2,400 years, they've been given the same thing. If you decide you can make a substitution and give them something else or just give them some crap you have lying around they could get really angry, you know, and about, and then it's not about, I don't believe this, you know, go ahead and not believe all you want. You know, it still exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so with all of this information here, I am, am I correct in assuming that voodoo is not something that you do as a solitary practitioner? No, no. 
There is no voodoo solitary. I mean, you need to be under the protection of a house, I think is really the word that I want to use because again, they help you navigate all of these things, you know, where you come from, you can learn how they do things. You can be part of the family, you know, especially these days, there's so many dangerous things out there. I was mentioning the black lives matter protests and things like that. One of my goddaughters was out on the streets in Portland protesting and she's like, okay, well, how do I do the camera so I can take pictures of these people and these atrocities, you know, and we got that done because that's what she needed to do, you know. Mm. So it's important because you need to know how to navigate your own life and also, you know, help your God brothers and sisters navigate their lives. So there's there's no self initiation in any of the ATRs. There's no self initiation. That is good to know. Good to know. Oh, I feel like my brain is already full of new information. This is good. This is good. Um, it's a lot. So, so with voodoo being a closed practice, you know, is and I and you were talking earlier about kind of you know starting with a with a reading to kind of get started if you want to join. Is there criteria for who can join? Is it based on like is there criteria in general for for how to join or I mean again every house is different you know Mm -hmm. I know a lot of houses that won't initiate white people under any circumstances but I also know there are plenty of houses that initiate white people or white presenting people and uh, the reading comes out that they need to be initiated so they get initiated you know what I mean it's not about somebody's personal thing about like oh well it should only be BIPOC and it should only be you know because it hasn't been that way. It hasn't been that we were talking about 2,500 years. Like there's, there's been a lot of people that were, you know, white presenting and got initiated. And that's just what the Arisha saw fit or the Lois saw fit to have happen in that moment, you know, and who are you to question that? That's what, mm-hmm. that's why we get the reading. That's why we belong to a house because then we can move forward within that structure. And, you know, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, okay. I always used to say, speak softly and carry a white man. Maybe it's just because <laughs> we need somebody to go in there and find out what's going on. And if they look too dark, they won't get in the door. So we'll send this guy in there and then they'll find out. I used to call my daughter the daywalker because she's got red hair. So I used to send her to places to see if people were racist. But because <laughs> they see the red hair and they would decide, oh, she can't possibly be any kind of black because she got red hair. So. But it's I think that you get the reading and then you do it. So the real for me, there aren't any criteria. I mean, I think I want somebody who's going to approach it respectfully and honestly, and they need to be dedicated. You know what I mean? I don't want somebody who's going to say, oh, yeah, I'll do offerings every Monday and then turn around and go, oh, well, nobody else did their Monday offering. So I'm not going to. I mean, what are we, two years old? You know, Mm -hmm. this is ridiculous, you know, (laughs) but uh, so that has to happen. And but sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll have people come for a reading and they think they're supposed to be initiated. I had one girl who was young and came to me for reading. She thought she was supposed to be initiated to Yemaya. And it turned out she was just going to go work in the childcare field. So she was getting a lot of this Yemaya energy coming in and being welcoming to her. But it was all about like, yes, you're going in the right direction. You need to take care of children. You're a good person to do this. This is your calling. You know, not she was supposed to in- 
initiate just that mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you're going in the right direction. And that's why you were picking up on that energy, you know? So it could be something as simple as that, or it could be, that's why I said, you know, some, somebody could have a life or death issue. And then that could be that they need to initiate, you know? Mm-hmm. So you don't know what you're looking at until you really look at, at what's happening, you know? And then mm-hmm. I suppose there's things people have to do in order to initiate with me. So can you get yourself together enough to get the ingredients? Can you get yourself together enough to get here? Like I said, it has to be like a, a spatial thing. I usually don't initiate people until there's at least some other members of the spiritual family present. So can you get it together enough? And can your God brothers and sisters get it together enough to show up or it's not going to happen? So mm-hmm. there's a whole wider thing that has to happen, you know, and then there's food and drink and drummers and all of this stuff, <laughs> clothing, all of this, you know, um, women can't be menstruating. Like all of this stuff has to come together in this weird sort of little like magical timeline. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just one more thing about substitutions. There's always a list that people are supposed to bring to these initiations of things that, you know, you do a divination, everybody's list is different. No matter what, there's always something really simple that somebody thinks, oh, don't worry about it. I'll get that later. I can get that anywhere that then turns into their spiritual journey. You know, I had a God brother spent four hours looking for a white candle and we were like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) You can't find a white candle like, all right, you're at Walmart, stare at the shelf, look down, what's there? And he's like, nothing. So, you know, he had his own problems. uh, Yeah. So don't leave it till the last minute. Uh, You might think it's going to be easy to get, you know, maybe order it from two sources, maybe go to a bunch of different places Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be in that moment. Oh, my gosh. I have one goddaughter. She didn't have the money for the initiation because she forgot. And we had all the drummers here and we had all the people and everybody's standing in the yard. And I went and people are like, can I loan it to her? And I was like, no, you can't loan it to her. This is what she needs to do to accomplish this. And Goddess bless her. She got in a lift, went to the closest ATM, got out the money, headed back here, walked right back in right at the right time, like another five minutes. It would have been too late to do what we needed to do. And everybody would have had to go home. So she accomplished it, you know? Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. 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 So you're talking about being a journey. Sometimes we get tested at the last minute. We get tested. And I think friend of mine calls it front loading or back loading. Either you get tested before the initiation or you get tested afterwards. So front loading is usually easier, even though it seems like a big pain when you're rushing to get money out of the ATM or find a white candle or some herb or something you thought you could just get anywhere, you know, but better than have it afterwards where it's just like, oh, okay, you know, (laughs) they're going to take it out of you no matter what before or after. So when it comes to these initiations, and I'm so fascinated, you were talking about earlier, kind of when it comes to like the baptism or, or kind of like the head washing or that it, it kind of, it does something to you spiritually. And, and I think people are often under the impression that an initiation is just somebody else giving you permission, but things happen spiritually within these initiations. Like, like things are, are I, I guess, granted to people. Can, can you tell us a little bit about so, so sort of what the process of initiation does for people when when they go to enter this work? Yeah, it really is like a rebirth. And uh, 
just found a butterfly chrysalis in my yard. And I was like, this is great. This is for like transformation magic, but <laughs> it really is a transformation. So there's, you know, things from all the elements that go into the transformation specific to you. So there is, you know, herbs, oils, crystals, you know, all of that foods, drink, all of that stuff that has to be put in the mix, not only in the candles, in the water, in the space, setting the space, the clothes have to get clean. You know, it's like every little teeny level of what's going into it is blessed specifically for that person. So, and it makes me laugh now that I've been doing it for so long because sometimes I'll see the same ingredients will pop up, you know, and usually what I do is start with a list of like three, 400 different things and see what the person specifically needs. But sometimes there'll be overlap, which I think is funny. And then I try and see like, Oh, what is it about this person that makes them need this? And also this person that needs this, you know, why are they similar? Why are they doing that? But then, you know, they get cleansed off. It's a water initiation. So you literally get washed off. You get wrapped up, you know, you get your new clothes on, you take a nap. That's, I mean, again, this is similar to a lot of ATRs. Mm -hmm. There's this whole process of sleeping and waking up again. It's like you go to... I mean, some people say you go to Africa. Some people say you just go to the underworld or to the land of the ancestors and then you wake up a different person. So it's like there's an initiation that happens in the physical world and also one that happens in the spiritual world while you're asleep. So there's this kind of like two pronged thing and then you wake up again and you're a new person. My favorite initiation was uh, my goddaughter who fell asleep. She was a midwife. She fell asleep. She got wrapped up, fell asleep in the car and then woke up and went to deliver a baby. I was like, that's beautiful. That was like the most amazing thing. And she didn't know if she could sleep in the car, but she did. And her husband drove and it was great. And I was like, this is so fantastic. It's like she was a new person bringing a new life into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she was so worried before we started that the woman was going to go into labor and she wasn't going to be able to get initiated. She was like looking at her phone every five seconds. And I was like, all right, we're going to do it as quick as we can. So you can turn your phone back on and see if you have to go deliver a baby. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, gosh. You would be so worried because let me tell you, those babies just show up whenever they show up. No, it's true. And she had about an hour ride to get to the person. So like factory and traffic in New York, I was in New York City at the time. So yeah, anything could have gone wrong, but it didn't. It was beautiful. Oh, love that. That's so wonderful. Yeah. So something else I wanted to ask about, and, and you've brought up the, um, the, the idea of payment for initiation a couple of times here, that there's, there's money involved and that becomes very taboo kind of in the, in the modern witchcraft community, as far as what we charge for, what we don't charge for. Can you, can you talk about kind of like maybe where that money goes or, or, or that part being important to the process or things like that? Sure. I don't think there was ever a taboo associated with money in the ATRs. Mm-hmm. That's not the top of the show, but people can go into it later. And, and a lot of that, especially in modern witchcraft, and uh, you know, started with Gardner. And, uh, it's a whole nother show. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that, again, it was always about being paid for your services. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. a lot of these people were isolated. A lot of these people, you know, if we talk about uh, Dr. John Montany, who was the high priest for Marie Laveau, 
you know, he couldn't read or write, but he was a master drummer from Senegal who came over here and worked with some of the voodoo priestesses in New Orleans and ended up amassing a great fortune. He had his own house. He had something like, I don't know, a seven, eight wives, a whole bunch of wives, a whole bunch of children. And then he ended up, somebody convinced him to sign his house and his, all of his money away because he couldn't read or write on this document. And uh, he died penniless. That's mm. the story. You know what I mean? Uh, so I yeah. think there's this element of, you know, people needing to get money because they didn't have the traditional skills. They had spiritual skills mm-hmm. and because of slavery or, you know, systemic oppression, they could not make money in the traditional ways. Dr. John was called a doctor because he was a root doctor, an herbal doctor here who would help some of the, and you go back and you look at the records from the thirties, he would help, you know, junkies and sex workers, you know, mm-hmm. with medicine because they didn't have anywhere to go in the city. There was no, you know, kind of Medicaid or anything like that for them to get any help. So people like that would help them with herbs and, and natural medicines that they'd learn both from Africa and from indigenous people here. So there's this kind of thing where we can, you know, help people and we have to give them something for what we're getting, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you're a spiritual person, any spiritual person out there who's ever done a serious healing or serious working for somebody, it takes a lot out of you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and originally when I started, I was not like building that into the, oh, okay, I'm going to do this for the person and then I'm going to be out of commission for two days. Wait a minute. If I can't make any money for the next two days, that's got to be built into the price of what's happening here because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not it, – what does they say? Like, you know, whatever energy doesn't get destroyed. It only changes form. So if I'm taking something negative off you or taking some illness or removing some negative situation, it's got to go somewhere. So I've got to do something to put that somewhere. Otherwise Mm -hmm. I'll just take it into myself and get sicker and sicker. And we see this happen with people over and over again in the community, you know, not just spiritual healers, massage therapists. I've seen it happen with like any kind Mm -hmm. of healer, they get this kind of burnout and it starts making them worse and worse. So I think part of the reason we need the money is for that spiritual rejuvenation and also the things we need to do in order to fix the situation when you're not there. You know what I mean? Your working might just be you open the package and you get a candle and you light it. I spent so much time getting the ingredients and doing the reading to see what's going to go in there and then healing myself afterwards so I don't take any of that back on to me. All of that's built into the cost, you know, so that's where that goes. And in the ATRs, a lot of it, I think, goes to you know, there's travel expenses for people that need to be here. You know, fortunately, mm-hmm. we're in a position now where if somebody new in, in my house needs to get initiated and I'm a new, a lot of them are in New York and I'm in New Orleans. Well, if somebody needs a plane ticket, that's built in there, too, because I can't just pull some schlub off the street and have them do your initiation. I need it be a trained drummer, a trained ritualist. That money shouldn't come out of their pocket. They're trying to help you. So that needs to come out of your pocket so you can get the help that you need and to be able Mm -hmm. to move forward, you know, Mm -hmm. and then down the road, you know, when you're more accomplished, someone will pay for you to come and get the, the, you know, the help that they need. And that it works like a family. It works like a system. So that's what happens. But there's always a ton of food because I always like to say that it doesn't matter 
where you are in your spiritual journey. If you eat something, you're going to get the feeling and the ashe and the energy of that ceremony. So we always have to feed everybody who shows up, even if it's just somebody's partner who's, you know, watching TV in the other room. They have to get fed, even if it's just, you know, we've been filming a lot lately, even if it's just the film crew, they need to eat something. You know, it's it's not a craft services budget. It's a Lilith needs to cook ritual food and everybody needs to eat this budget. That's what has to happen. And then and, you know, drummers don't pay. They need to be paid. You know, I mean, I mm-hmm. think at this day and age, it's disrespectful to ask anybody to work for free. You know, my best friend right. got a call the other day. Well, if they were really spiritual people, they would work for free. If you were spiritual people, you would not culturally rape me for your own agenda. Like I have mm-hmm. my own agenda, you know, I mean, am I so narcissistic that I'm not worried about what's happening in the Ukraine or what's happening to the earth? Yes, I am. And I'm doing my own thing about it. I don't need to sign on to your thing for free. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Have you used me like that? That's just not right. You know? Absolutely. Well, and somebody too, like I I see a lot of people online try and say things like, you know, in in Mexican culture, like, oh, curanderas and curanderos, like they, they, they don't charge anybody. They've never charged anybody. And it's like, First of all, that's not true. Second of all, Guadalajara still got to eat. They still got to have a house. They still got to like the fact that all of this stuff should be free, I think ends up becoming very toxic very quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, and and like I mentioned before, your medical care, traditional medical care isn't free. Even if you're not paying it, your insurance is paying it, your taxes are paying it, Mm -hmm. you know, the hospital's eating it. Somebody's paying for it, you know, and legal help. You can't get that for free. You get what you pay for. That's what I say to people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. You can find somebody to do your reading for free or your healing for free, but you get what you pay for. And Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I worry about those people because they're just giving it all away for free. You know, what Mm -hmm. are they leaving? leaving for themselves? What are they leaving for the people who do do the right things? A lot of times I think these people are just very careless. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, oh, well, I decided I was going to be in this bad relationship or in this bad apartment or in this bad whatever. And then there's consequences, you know, Mm -hmm. well, there's consequences to that. And it shouldn't be on me to fix your consequences when you're not genuine, you're not serious and you're not willing to work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to tell people that I would trade for things, but then people were careless about that. They wouldn't do what they were supposed to do for the trade or they'd be, you know, I'm still chasing down a couple of people that tried to trade me seven or eight years ago when I was too stupid to tell them they couldn't trade. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Not good. Yeah. Not worth my mental health. It's really. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Before we wrap up here, there's one more thing I want to touch on because, um, and, and you mentioned it briefly happening in a yoga class earlier, um, but part of voodoo um, involves possession. Um, and for a lot of people, that seems very scary. But also, I think in some of these ways, it can also be very beautiful, kind of depending on what's going on. Can you talk about um, possession in voodoo? what that's for, what's it, what, what it's like, you know, is this something that people should be afraid of or is it a good thing? Like uh, what's going on in that area? Uh, It's definitely a good thing. Um, I think that again, if you are not initiated, there's things you could do to not be affected by the spirits of the ceremony. That's why you see people cover their heads. That's why you see people put cascaria crosses on their feet or their knees or their hands. So they're not picking up any energy unnecessary to them. I mentioned before that rogacion or la vetette, before you've had that 
again, anything can go in and out of you at any time. So that's something to be mindful of. If you're going to a bembe, if you're going to an open ceremony or something like that, you know, maybe cover your head if you don't want to be influenced by whatever's out there. Uh, but it is a blessing. It's truly a blessing. I've seen people, I mentioned before the yoga class and, uh, we were, I had set up a art show for an art and altar show about different ritual, you know, setups for the Arisha and the Loa as we do in New Orleans. And there was a yoga class in there. And this woman starts in front of the Ogun altar, starts barking like a dog. And I mentioned before how Ogun is healing and military and things like that. He also has dogs that always appear with him. So, and uh, my godmother Bonnie had a very special connection to Ogun and so she came in when the woman was barking and they called me in and we're all like huh so we did a little blessing with her with you know alcohol and offerings and things like that and this was before the days when everybody had a cell phone and it was in a UU church and somebody called the church office and told the woman her husband had been in a car accident and the car was totaled, but he was still alive and he was fine. So it was like she needed that kind of blessing because he was in this situation that was very violent, very extreme. And the tools were provided to her to get him through it, even though she didn't even know what she was doing. And Bonnie and I just did what we thought we needed to do in the situation. But it ended up having there be a terrible situation that turned out okay you know and i've seen that happen again and again i had a good friend uh mike ingles who just passed and i saw him once we were again another ogun ceremony we we're doing an ogun ceremony and i was dancing with the machete and i just got this feeling that i was supposed to give it to him and he went around dancing with the machete and leaping through the air and blessing everybody and he said it was like he was seeing these old military movies in his head. And then afterwards, people came up to me and they were like, he just tried to commit suicide with a blade. Like, why did you give him a machete? And he came up to me after that and said, Lila, thank you so much for allowing me to have that blade in a spiritual space in order to heal people, in order to bless people, as opposed to it being an instrument of pain and torture for myself. It was something that I could rise up above and use it for good, use it for the community, use it as a protective force, as opposed to a harmful force that mm, I was directed mm -hmm. towards myself. And I've seen that happen over and over again, like people get healed, you know, people get messages, there's times where I'll speak in languages that I don't speak. I was speaking uh, French Cajun, Acadian once. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like, But I was talking to somebody whose grandparents were Acadian. So they were supposed to get the message. They understood what it was. I was just a vehicle, you know, and uh, that's what happens sometimes. You know, it, it seems fantastical because they do these things that are amazing, like, you know, walk on fire or, you know, I saw once a 90 pound woman pick up a 500 pound man and throw him across the room, you know, to show that they're there, to display that they're there. It's not faking it. And I've seen a lot of faking it in other traditions where like, oh, I'm possessed. You know, no, you're not. <laughs> Where's that extreme? Where's that fantastical thing? Where's that, you know, like you're on fire, but you're not, or you're lifting, you know, hundreds of pounds, but you're not, or you're doing some other extreme thing. And that's something that as an anthropologist, that's something that we see from the beginning of time, people that are under the influence of spirit or possessed by spirit doing these things that normal humans couldn't do. And that's how we know that something's in there. Wow.
That is so neat. And even like, even on such a smaller capacity, you're kind of talking about this, you know, show us something that lets us know that you're really here, that's, that this is happening. And that's something too, like even on a much smaller scale in, in medium show, they, they always talk about like, don't just say your grandma's here and she loves you. Like, like bring <laughs> forth something that proves it, that, that this is here, like, like, and, right. and, and let, let spirit, you know, come through in, in that manner and kind of like have that. And I think that's so important to kind of have that almost like that evidence, but also in, in some ways, like that seeing is believing and being able to see something like that will crack open your brain to all this other stuff that could be possible and like opening your mind. So it's, that would be amazing to see in real life. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Whenever I've seen it or or experienced it, it is insanely amazing. You're like, what (laughs) did that just happen? You know? And, but, and I think that's part of it because you've got to let go of this limiting belief, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing, you know, you ask me what's wrong about magic today. I think that too many people have limiting belief, you know, sure. You can manifest anything if anything is nothing and you want to believe you can do it with a glass of water. (laughs) Sure. And I've seen I've seen people write books about like, oh, well, say at the end of your spell, if this isn't meant to happen, it won't happen. I'm like, well, then what are you even doing this spell for? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right? what's, what's the point of this? Like, so then if it doesn't work, you just decide it wasn't supposed to. Like, well, that's a waste of time. Why would I do that? <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. Yeah. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Stop it. Stop it. it. I love stop it. it. Get out. It's my brain. Well, this has been wonderful. Before we go, can you tell us, I know that you have several books out, but you just had a new one on Voodoo come out or or it was a re-release or you, you had a new Voodoo book come out. Can you tell us about your new book and kind of where people can find you? Okay. Um, they can find me on my website, lilithdorsey.com and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of that good stuff. My new book is a reprint, but it's it's really a completely new book because it was originally published in 2004, and uh, there's been a lot of stuff happening since then. Uh, so it's called Voodoo and African Traditional Religion. It's a great beginner book for people because it tells them what's the difference between New Orleans voodoo and Haitian voodoo and candomblé and all of these other things that you might hear these terms or these words, but not understand what the difference is. Maybe you're in one tradition and you're going to go to a ceremony from another tradition. What's the same? What's different? I wanted people to have all of that in a concise place. It also has, you know, music from each of the different religions, you know, and and I think that's really important, especially now we've seen a lot more people coming out and talking about these things and celebrating these traditions as opposed to keeping them hidden and secretive. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was basically for safety purposes. But now, thank goddess, we don't necessarily have to keep everything secret. You know, we won't necessarily get arrested. I only say won't necessarily because they still try and get us all the time. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, that's where people can find me. Um, Yeah. My upcoming events is on my website and my blog is Voodoo Universe. There's 700 posts on there. We're the most popular voodoo blog in the world. People can check that out. There's a lot of information for free. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Wonderful. That is great. And so everyone here who is listening, check out Lilith, uh, their website, their books. 
you know, make sure that as you go forth in the voodoo world, that we are respecting all these traditions that have been around for years and years and years. And in the meantime, remember. Do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there. (laughs) 